This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. Friday, everyone. It's Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And on today's show, we have, from the Afford Anything podcast and award-winning blog, Paula Pant. And from the award-winning blog, LenPenzo.com, it's Len Penzo. Come on, people. Who the hell else is it going to be? And rounding out today's trio of greatness, please share a warm welcome with the basement's special guest from the award-winning Money for the Rest of Us podcast, David Stein. Now here he is, the guy who cashed in his golden ticket to settle in his mom's half-finished basement in Texarkana, Joe Zalcihai. Hey, welcome to Friday, another Friday on the show. I am Joe Salcihai, Average Joe Money on Twitter, and welcome back to the Stacking Benjamin Show. Got a fantastic episode, and if my voice sounds a little different, well, that's because I'm not recording this from the basement today. I'm actually in northern Michigan. I decided that uh, as one of my goals, I love Texarkana, but I wanted to beat the heat, and so for a couple weeks, I'm in Frankfort, Michigan. By the way, thanks to everybody who came and hung out with us. Last week, we had a fantastic meetup, had a great time meeting uh, some other basement dwellers and generally just had a fantastic time. And you know what else is a great time? Heading to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, because when you go to magnify money, guess what happens? You find out that that checking account you use, not that good. That savings account you're using mm, could be a lot better. And all those financial products you use, not exactly the best in class. But Magnify Money has them all. In fact, a recent uh, study showed that Magnify Money has over 92% of the products available. And the next best site, next best comparison site, just around 60%. So why not go where all the stuff is when you're deciding on a better debt strategy, a new banking tools, whatever it might be? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money. Great show today. Hey, we're not doing a fintech segment today. Long story there. I'll share it with you later, but uh, let's get this party rolling, huh? All right, everybody, let's walk across the basement here and dust this baby off. You know, I think it's funny. I got an email recently from somebody saying, use that shortwave a couple times a week. Why is it always so dusty? And that's, it is a dusty basement, people. And I'll tell you, this thing apparently attracts dust, but it also attracts, how about that for a segue, from Las Vegas, Paula Pant from Afford Anything. 
And, you know, Las Vegas is a dusty place, so I can relate to the issues that you've got, Joe. There it is. There's all these ways to talk about dusty. Like you go to a theater and you see a movie and you get dusty. You know what that means? You never go to the theater, so you probably don't even know what that means. Yeah, no. Is that a phrase, like a colloquialism that I'm unfamiliar with? Yeah, yeah. It means that uh, there, there might have been a little sad part in the movie, but you're pretending it wasn't sad. There's just some dust that got in your eye. Oh, right, 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 right. I have heard that, I think. <laughs> I think maybe, you can neither confirm nor deny that you've heard that phrase. And It sounds modestly familiar. Let's see if this guy can confirm or deny that phrase. I don't even know. That, that's a horrible segue. In Los Angeles, California, from LenPenzo.com. Len Penzo. Joe, you need a proper air circulation system. We'll talk after the show. I'll tell you all about it, what I've got in the bunker. Absolutely uh, pristine, not a speck of dust anywhere. I can hear this now for a small fee, Joe. <laughs> I will share with you. Hey, hey, didn't hey, didn't last week you were the one that was charging me right and left? Weren't you charging me right and left for all kinds of stuff? I was. I wanted to, but no, no, not yet. <laughs> not yet. That, that bill hasn't reached your house yet, has it? Okay. No. <laughs> I hope not. Not yet, because all of a sudden, then Len's not taking my call anymore. <laughs> yeah, and a guy who's wondering why he took this call. How about that, Len? Huh? There's there's my first good segue of the whole show. From the awesome Money for the Rest of Us podcast, Mr. David Stein. Hey, it's good to be here. Thanks for having me back. I'm so glad you could be here because the property values, David, always go up when you're here. But for people that don't know Money for the Rest of Us, tell us what you do. I teach about money, how it works, and how to invest it via podcast and YouTube channel. Awesome. And uh, the YouTube, how's the YouTube channel going? Because that's not as old as the podcast, is it? I'm a month in. <laughs> YouTube algorithm, it's something you have to do for a year before you get any traction. So it's a great place to do videos that nobody watches. We're three weeks in, and all we do is is put the podcast there now. And uh, I have to tell you, all three of our fans that watch it on YouTube are our favorite fans. There you go. Yeah, well, yeah, I did put the podcast up for a while, but I thought, no, nah, I'm just going gonna, gonna to do it. I'm gonna do, if I'm going to do a video, I'm going to do it right. I'm going to put my talking head. And I'm going to do videos, so that's what I do uh, twice a week. Scares the heck out of me, but better you than me, man. Well, let's jump into these. We're going to start off with the DailyMail.com, a UK piece. Russian billionaire, but this isn't about the UK. This is about New York City. Listen to this. Russian billionaire anchors his 370-foot super yacht right in front of the Statue of Liberty for months. So... He doesn't have to pay the thousands of dollars a day it would cost to dock his vessel. Paula Pant, say it ain't so. Why would somebody do that? Apparently, as you just said, Joe, uh, apparently the laws state that he's allowed to, and it's cheaper for him to put it there than it is to dock it elsewhere. So seems to me like he's just following the way the rules are written. Doesn't it seem like there's some headlines coming, though, like the court of popular opinion going to be totally against this guy? Or does that even matter? kind of think this is just a clickbait article that uh, nobody's, nobody's really paying attention to unless you're like really bored and sitting around a dusty basement in Texarkana. So. <laughs> I don't think that's the case at all, Len, because all I've heard about the last couple of weeks is this guy in his yacht and about how from many vantage points around New York, like you go to visit New York City, you want to see the Statue of Liberty and instead you got this guy's yacht. Yeah. You know what's irritating? The, he's allowed to do that. But look, this guy's a billionaire. And you know what I like about it is Hey, he's thinking he's found a way not to spend money. Now, let's put this in perspective. I, he's a billionaire. I don't know if he's a 10 billionaire or 100 billionaire, but let's say he's a 10 billionaire. Right. And I think the fees for this is like a few thousand dollars a day if he parked his yacht in the proper place in the harbor. 
So, I mean, what is that? That's for somebody who's making like uh, 50,000 a year. It's like a buck or two bucks a day, something ridiculous like that. But it just goes to show you, if you have your principles about not wasting money, if you don't have to, hey, it doesn't matter what you make. So, David, you on that train that this is just a clickbaity piece and the guys following the rules. If somebody wants the rules to be different, they should make them different. Well, I thought it was a great article to learn about photography perspective because there's five pictures. Some of them, it looks like the yacht is 10 feet away and others two miles. And so it's kind of a no big deal. I mean, it's kind of cool to see a yacht. You could get actually get a nice picture of, of Manhattan with a beautiful yacht in the frame. So if, if you're on you know, where the Statue of Liberty is. So I, yeah, it's kind of a clickbait. But, but, <laughs> but, is, but, but, but is this guy, to Len's point, is this guy a billionaire? You think, like Len seems to be asserting, he's a billionaire because he takes care of his pennies? Like to him, this is just pennies, oh, but no. he takes care of his pennies. He's, his friend gave him the yacht, right? And no, he, it, it appears that he took advantage of the opportunities i.e. little sketchy opportunities after the fall of the Soviet Union. And that's how he got his wealth. But keeping- So, I mean, I, I, maybe he got it, honestly, maybe not. I have no idea. But there was a lot of uh, shady things going on after the Soviet Union fell. And it sounds like he, uh, he had some good connections and continues to have them because they're giving him $300 million yachts as presents. But not yes, a, yeah, let me let me just say for the record, I, I didn't assert that he became a billionaire by being cheap. For one thing, you can never build wealth by cutting being frugal. That's uh, there's a limit to how frugal you can be. But uh, but I will say that this guy, I'd say he's the same as Warren Buffett's kind of the same way. You know, Buffett is very modest in his spending. The guy's is he the richest or second richest guy in the world? I can't keep track anymore. But the guy still drives a an old car and he, and if you've looked at his house, I think he lives in the same house he's he's had since 1957. So, it kind of yeah, but, but, but Buffett has some emotional intelligence, right? I mean, there there are unwritten rules of society and, and one apparently is you don't park your yacht next to a national monument and leave it there, right? So, I I think there's something lacking on the billionaire's part. He's a cheapskate. We'll leave it at that. <laughs> Paula? <laughs> well, I think the question is whether or not a boat, any boat of that size should be allowed to park in that location. And whether that boat is owned by a billionaire versus owned by a cancer charity is just flinging arrows. So meaning, meaning that the reason we're flinging arrows is because of who he is? I think so. I think that the fact that we keep bringing up the that he... He's a billionaire is a little bit of like, let's hate the rich rather than discussing the actual issue at hand, which is that there is a boat parked in a particular location that some people find to be inconvenient. But doesn't it seem like this guy is saving, even though to Len's point, this is just pennies for him, Paula, he's saving pennies by following this silly rule because to David's point, you know, if he had some emotional intelligence, he might realize that there's going to be a lot of clickbait articles about this. And sure enough, there is. Well, again, does the identity of the person make a difference? Would it be different if this boat were owned by a charity? Well, I don't think so. No, I, th I and I don't know what maritime culture is, right? Maybe, mm -hmm. maybe it's okay to park your boat in the middle, you know, right there. I just don't, I don't own a boat. So I have no <laughs> idea. But it, the article makes it sound like it's not an appropriate thing to do for anyone to just park their boat near, near the Statue of Liberty. Well, it's not illegal. But, it's not illegal. Well, I know. Well, no, but it's an unwritten rule, right? I mean, not everything has to be illegal. Some things 
just aren't good etiquette. Yeah, it's not illegal to sit on the table at dinner, Led, and you still do it all the time. That's true. It's not good etiquette to fart in church either. I do that too. You do that constantly, right? <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then you point at the honeybee right after. Len is redefining the word pew. <laughs> Paul is here all week, folks. Tip your weight stuff. Oh, man. I think that's a great place to leave this stinker of an Yes, article. yes. Good. Put I think up. you found a good exit there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to a much more highbrow place, Morningstar.com. That's a good place to read. This is written by John Reckenthaler. How to get really rich. It says, inherit well, be contrarian, and live for a very long time. It seems to me, David, that when it comes to a lot of people that he's talked to that are wealthy, they started off a little bit wealthy and grew up from there. Uh, They got somewhat rich. It depends on what your definition of really rich. You want to get really rich, own a hedge fund or run an investment firm. Very few people got mega rich, billionaire rich through investing. They've got it through having a business typically, often an investment business. But it was an interesting, it was a fascinating article because there was things there, this particular investor whose name eludes me right now. Larista, oh no, 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 Uh, Hetty Green. Yeah, The so-called witch of Wall Street. Exactly, so grew her wealth at 7%. Over a 50-year period during a, a period of deflation, but the part that I found fascinating is one of her main investments was greenbacks, which was basically the first fiat currency that the U.S. government issued to fund the Civil War because the New York banks wanted 20% interest, and so they just issued paper money, not backed by anything, which you know turned out to be at least short-term inflationary, but uh, in some ways a pretty risky investment, but it, it right. paid off. Well, that's what, Len, uh, I'm going to go to you because we're talking about currency uh, stuff. <laughs> but, uh, but it does say in the article, to David's point, that this, she invested in an investment that at the time, you know, we, we say invest in currency and people go, oh, okay, that's kind of boring. At the time, to David's point, it, this was a pretty risky thing she was doing. Yeah, well, she got lucky. Let's put it this way. She invested in greenbacks that went belly up, and she only got paid because the U.S. government decided to continue making payments when they could have easily defaulted on those bonds. So she got lucky. That was highly speculative at the time for what she did. But I want to correct something to this guy. It really irritates me with this guy. You know, he he went in there. And he, he's knocking the fact that there was no inflation, and he's not giving any credit to the gold standard at the time for, for being it. He said it has nothing to do with the fact that there was no inflation at all during that 50-year period between the end of the Civil War and the introduction of the Fed in 1913, when that had everything to do with the dollar holding its value that entire time because they couldn't print more than they had in gold. At least they could, but not very. they couldn't get very far away from that. So it was very disingenuous for him to say it had nothing to do with the gold standard. Okay, I got that off my chest, Joe. Yeah, but still, I want to go back to the speculative part of, of what you're talking about. Do you think that's what it takes to become wealthy? I mean, the headline in this article was how to get really rich. And is that the, is that the point, speculate and win? Um, if you want to get ridiculously rich, I think, yes, you have to speculate. I mean, let's face it, Joe, right? Risk and reward are tie are closely tied together. So, uh, and you don't always end up on the good side of the outcome. But if you want to make ridiculous returns, you got to take ridiculous risks. So, yeah. But Paula, which risk is the one to take? The one that Miss Green took in this article with uh, greenbacks, or is it to David's point? You need to own a business. Well, I think that a way to make a risk less risky 
is by having knowledge about it. And regardless of whether you're owning a business through, you know, a, a hedge fund or private equity or venture capital, or if you are doing what Hedy Green did, which is, you know, invest in greenbacks at a, and invest in fiat currency at a time when people found that risky. Like regardless, I think what both investors, both good investors would have in common is that they remove risk by having a lot of knowledge about both the industry slash asset class that they're involved in, as well as the timing of when they make their moves. I want to ask about three points this gentleman gives to Green's methods. Number one, find securities that had true ongoing value. When he talks about that, David, if assuming you agree with that, what type of securities are those that you're looking for? Well, she was an asset allocator. I mean, it, it sounds like she wasn't necessarily buying an individual company. She was buying assets that had an income stream, and she would often buy them when People were fearful, which is a great way to invest. I mean, in terms of a lot of the things she did, I fully agree with, including having cash so that you can have some dry powder when when opportunities arise. So you're not fully invested in the market at all times because sometimes it's appropriate not to be completely invested so that you have a both a margin of safety plus a cash cushion to take advantage of opportunities when they come. Do you agree with that, Paula? Absolutely. I think, uh, and as this article says, part of Hetty Green's strength was that she had liquidity because when there is a pullback or when there's a a bust, uh, it does no good to have to sell assets in order to generate the cash that you could use to take advantage of the fact that the market is bottoming out. But you and stay- she never had to do that. She always had the cash on hand to be able to come in at the bottom. But don't you stay fully invested? No, no, I have a bit of a barbell strategy where my investments are all equities, but I also have a major cash position. Yeah, and Len, you're keeping uh, tons of cash underneath your uh, your mattress, right? <laughs> yeah. Hey, let me just say this. She's, she kept cash back then. Again, this was a, a very stable financially in terms of the currency was holding its value. As a matter of fact, it was gaining value over time. Over her that, that entire 50 years she was holding cash, her cash was earning – the purchasing power was increasing. Not a lot, but over time, she basically – the dollars she had in cash, if she was to hold them for 50 years, actually the purchasing power doubled over that 50 years. So just because of the deflationary uh, effects, it was I actually looked at the Fed at their stats. For those 50 years between the end of the Civil War and 1913, the inflation, it was, it was negative. So it was deflationary by 1.13%, which was quite amazing. Yeah. When do you see yourself swooping in in this market with uh, cash, Len? Like what are, are some of the fa- what are some of the factors you're looking for besides nuclear winter? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> you know where I'm coming from, Joe. Sure. I'm swooping in when there's a new currency. I think there's going to be a currency failure. But okay. That being said, I'm I'm extreme. For most people, what I would do is you would you would again think ahead, pick an entry point that you want to go in. So if you think. Real estate is going to be a fairly priced when it loses 40% of its value. That's when I would swoop in, maybe 40%, 30%. you got to think about these things before they're happening. Just like you're supposed to have an exit strategy, you should have an entrance strategy too. Think ahead of time, and you've got to make those decisions for yourself. So again, I'm just telling people I'm extreme. Uh, you know, I'm an extreme case. Think for yourself and do your own thing. Well, let's ask uh, the pro. David, you did this stuff uh, professionally. How do you decide entry point and exit point? Typically, 
for an entry point, you wait till something hits an extreme, extreme fear, and then reverses. So, for example, right, master limited partnerships right now are down again as oil sells off. You know, at some point, oil will bottom again and start the way back up, and you can pick up an asset class that's yielding over you know, seven to eight percent, and then that's a good entry point. But most of the time, you don't do anything because you know, right now the market's fairly valued, but trends are still positive. And so I'm primarily a buy and hold investor, but I'm looking for regime shifts where <laughs> there's an economy, you know, a recession or something that suggests it's time to reduce risk or take more risk. Well, it, but most of the get, time you don't do anything. You got to be brave, though. I mean, I, I, David, I know you sound like you're old, you know, is old enough to have lived through the the dot com and the and the dot com crash and the crash of the oh eight. I mean, it's scary. When things are dropping, it really is. Uh, it's oh, it's it scary it's to buy hard. when things are, are dropping. You just see them dropping. You hear people saying, don't catch a fallen knife. You know, I mean, there's a lot of fear. It's hard. It's easier said than done, but you have to do it, you know. Yeah, I remember. Uh, yeah, exactly. Extreme, extremely difficult. And that's why you can't just you have to use multiple indicators to do it. And, you know, primary one is just looking at the economy and some of those those signals. Paula, well, the the easiest way to make sure that you buy during times that the market is falling is just by having a strategy that forces you to buy a fixed amount every month or every quarter or every periodic period of time. So just using, yeah, just equal increments. Exactly. That's the easiest, uh, most automated way to make sure that you do catch those bottoms. Well, but then you're still also catching the top with that strategy too. Yes, but if you're putting in the same amount of money, then... When stocks are expensive or when a, a given asset is expensive, you will naturally buy less of it, whereas when it's cheaper, you will naturally buy more of it because you're putting in the same amount of money every time, but that money will yield you less when it's high-priced and more when it's low-priced. Hey, I, I've got an, a strategy, and this is from my work. They recently instituted this for 401ks, people who have 401ks, and it's been very popular, I guess, where I work, but you can – Actively manage. You can have a company now actively manage your 401k for a small fee. Yeah. So that might be one way to do it, too. Yeah, I know that uh, Bloom does that. Uh, B-L-O-O-O-M. Does that, is that the company you're talking about or do you have a different company? It's not Bloom. It's I can't remember the company. I, I've got a big brochure, but I have a couple of colleagues that are swearing by it. Oh, we're, you know, they're up like 25, 30 percent already this year. This it just started at the beginning of the year. They're all excited. Oh, we, they're using this managed fund, uh, this management company. So I'm looking into it. But uh, yeah, that's they're one up, way to they're do up 30 percent this year. Yeah. David, right, that's, a little, that's a little scary then. That's what yeah. I was going to say. Well, I was going to say, yeah. I was going to say, David, what's the first thing you think when you hear that? That they're taking a lot of risk. They've taken some big sector bets or something because there's not that many assets that are up 30% this year. What I have found is people that are that good investing are not managing people's 401ks. They're running hedge funds. Could be, David. I, you know, I don't know. I have to look into it. I'm, but uh, I'm just telling you what I've been hearing. So right. that's. Uh, I mean, I'm I not recommending they I mean, it. Maybe they are. Maybe they are. I mean, it'd be, yeah. it'd be pretty fascinating. Maybe I just know the couple, the two guys I have. They're all excited by it right now, which is. Well, but, uh, you know, you got to be careful. <laughs> yeah. Right. No, Paula has all of her money across the street from where she lives on black at the uh, roulette wheel. <laughs> 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 that's that's the way to go, right? Forty nine point five percent chance of winning. 
You know, I may live in Vegas, but I do uh, adhere to the philosophy that investments are not supposed to be exciting. That's so disappointing, Paula. <laughs> Save your excitement for, uh, I don't know, what is it that people find exciting these days? What do the kids find exciting? How about if we use that as a transition to something people's, <laughs> people find exciting, poor which is- Poor segue, poor segue, I, Joe. I, I, I'm, the end of this show. <laughs> I'm, yeah, getting the heck out of here. No, it's television shows, right? People get excited about TV, and our third piece comes to us from- the Money-ish blog. Oh, and that actually was a good segue. <laughs> I was trying. And it's what your favorite shows say about your personality. People get fired up about the shows. They want to tell people they go into work or they tell their friends what shows they're watching. And I was curious. I don't really care about the piece because I think it's a puff piece <laughs> where they're just talking about different uh, TV shows. And I think it's even a sponsored piece by DirecTV. But it made me curious. I mean, we're all fans of money and investing. Do we get excited about shows about that? Or do we get excited about shows that turn off our brain and very curious to find out about our panel and what they do? So Paula, I know you're not a huge TV watcher, but when you talk television, what kind of shows would get you excited? Right now, my two favorite shows are The Simpsons and Game of Thrones. And what does that mean? Well, um, so I enjoy The Simpsons because it's funny uh, they make, they're the only major show that I know that like can make Hindu jokes, which I was raised Hindu. So I find that particularly funny and they're always like, they hit the nail on the head with it every time. And I don't know, they, they provide social commentary, but they um, do so in a way that doesn't weigh you down. So it's kind of like goofy deep is how I would describe it. It's thoughtful and it's deep and it's insightful, but yet it doesn't hit you over the head with all of that. A little texture because there's a little something going on under the hood. Yeah, Exactly. All right. What about the Game of Thrones, though? Because that's that you know that, that's not funny. Yeah. I typically dislike violence, and uh, based on if I if I hadn't watched it, if all I ever saw were the previews for it, Game of Thrones is not normally the type of show that I would like. But the plot is just that good. Um, the plot's incredibly thick and complicated, and allows you to totally get immersed and lost in a different world and follow some the, the complexity of character development and plot development. And I just, I love that about it. I read the books before the, before the show came out. So I didn't watch the show, but Cheryl would laugh at me because we'd be, we would be, we'd, you know, be sitting together reading and all of a sudden I'll take my book and I go, Oh, f and I'll throw it across the room. And, <laughs> and she's, she's like, Oh, I killed another one, huh? I'm like, yeah, another one of my favorite <laughs> characters, dead, dead. I, I hate this series. Then I pick it back up and keep reading. Uh, Len, what do you think Paula's favorite shows say, say about her? I don't know. I wasn't listening. Oh, that's great. <laughs> I tune out until it's my turn. I was, I'm sorry. I was looking at something. I, I, I wasn't listening to that part. You can throw that on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I think we're going <laughs> to. All right. David, so what do Paula's uh, favorite shows say about her, do you think? Yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know Paula well enough to be able to, to say. Ted. Probably super intelligent. Prep, there you and go. kind. That's it. Aww. Yes. Doesn't like violence and likes Hindu jokes. That's what it says to me. <laughs> Len Penzo, what are your favorite shows? Uh, I love Alone. I, I, You know that show where they take somebody and they drop them off on the middle of Vancouver Island and they see how long they can live? <laughs> they, they drop 10 people out there and they see how who can live the longest alone. Would they get 10 items and that's it? I mean, it's like Survivor on steroids. That's 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 one of my favorites. I like Locked Up Abroad. Um, locked up. Yeah, what is I, Locked Up Abroad? 
Yeah, that's where people. Oh, that's a that's addicting too. That's where you you, you see these people go to foreign countries and they get arrested and they go to a, like a Turkish prison and and, they, and it tells the whole story of what happened to them. That that it's that. And then uh, you know what? When it comes to series. I just saw it for the first time like three years ago. Me and the honeybee, we binge watched this thing in like two weeks. The Breaking Bad series. Yeah. Oh my God. That was the best series I've ever seen in my entire life. Paula, what do those picks say about Len Benzo? <laughs> <laughs> Don't hold back, Paula. I mean, you know, I would say, uh, Jody, your earlier question about do the panelists like shows that relate to finance and relate to like the stuff that we think about and talk about? on a weekly basis, like during our work week or not. What I'm hearing from myself, from like what I'm hearing across the board is we like shows that allow escape. Yeah. But to Len's point, I mean, Len's dealing with some lone survivor issues here. <laughs> like being locked up in a prison, being thrown out on an island by myself. Like there's some kind of sadistic thing going there, don't you think? He's preparing for life in the bunker. Right. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I, I totally get where you're coming from, Len. It's like it's any day now, any day. Uh, David, we're going to give the guests the last word on this amazingly intelligent discussion. What 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 are your favorite shows? You know, we cut the cord like five years ago and I don't get any television. We have Netflix. Doctor Who is probably the only show I watch on occasion. I've watched Sherlock. I watch a lot of British shows, maybe because they just said, I don't know. They just seem most shows are just just boring. I find I find I can't sit for them. Is it because, do you like the British sense of humor, the fact that that's a little different? No, I just somehow maybe the plot's a little more compelling. You know, I did watch Parks and Rec. I mean, I, I binge watched that. That was probably the last good comedy that I have, have watched, like I think, a series. I think you're right, Paula. We're looking for escape, except Len, who's looking to be thrown <laughs> in the Turkish prison. <laughs> As it, it, you, you pick these articles, you got no idea where they're going to go, and that one went right in the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to end it there. Uh, let's talk about what's going on where you kids live. Paula Pant, what's happening at Afford Anything? On the Afford Anything podcast, I have a very personal episode in which I talk about my advertising philosophy and I, I kind of propose a question to the audience and, and just kind of talk about the struggles. Like I really pull back the curtain and I go behind the scenes and I talk about the struggles that I've had with um, monetizing my business. So that is episode 83. I've also got two renditions of Ask Paula, one in which I answer real estate questions specifically, and one in with you, Joe, answer a broad gamut of questions that come in from the the listeners. So that's all available at the Afford Anything podcast. Talk about the roulette wheel, those answers, those questions we answer. That's a roulette wheel of questions. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a smorgasbord. Yeah, mattering. there you go. The buffet. Cornucopia. The buffet, right? Yes. To, to keep it Vegas. Yes, it is the Vegas buffet. That show is a free buffet for people. <laughs> we will comp everybody's buffet if they go listen. It, it will give you a stomachache. <laughs> you don't go that far. I was selling it and you just completely dropped it. What are you doing? I mean, it will uh, satisfy your There hunger. you go. That's good. Much better. Better late than never. Len Penzo. What's happening at lempenzo.com? Yes, and at my uh, sister site, thepersistentitch.com. Of course. It, you know, people, when they buy their organic fruits and vegetables, I think a lot of them don't realize that they're actually overpaying for them. They're buying organic fruits and veggies when they really don't need to. Why? Because there are many fruits and vegetables out there that don't have the pesticide loads to begin with. 
So I have an article, 15 organic fruits and vegetables that you might be overpaying for. I'm actually that you don't even need to buy because you can just buy the regular ones and get the same effects. Right. Uh, you can get all those delicious pesticides. <laughs> <laughs> Add everything to your palate, right? <laughs> Sponsored by Monsanto. <laughs> you did have to give away that that was a sponsored piece. Right? Wouldn't that be great? Oh, my goodness. Is that funny? That's good. And we'll link to that also. Mr. Stein, who's wondering why he came back. Thank you for coming back for another show. No, anytime. What's what's ha uh, what's happening? Uh, money for the rest of us. Latest episode 162. We answer the question, is inflation a good thing? And particularly... Now, why do central banks such as the Federal Reserve have a 2% inflation target? Why isn't the inflation target zero? And then uh, YouTube, latest videos, how to be a minimalist investor and how not to run out of money in retirement. Awesome. And we will also link to both of those places. Guys, thanks for playing. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Joe. Oh, and that's going to do it for today. Hey, got to tell you a little bit about our game that we're playing on the show. But before we get to that, just got to say a big thanks again to everyone who went to stackybenjamins.com forward slash magnify money when they're searching for better financial tools. Because when you go to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash magnify money, guess what you find? You find that that checking account, that savings account and those debt products you use could be much, much better. In fact, let's go to Magnify Money right now and do our weekly search of savings account interest rates. So I just click over to Magnify Money, boom, click on savings accounts, boom, get personalized offers. The internet here is so slow, but we look, we're up to 1.4. We've been at 1.3 for a long time. So 1.4 at Dollar Savings Direct. Magnify Money gives them an A for their fine print rating, meaning it's very transparent. $1 minimum balance, 1.4%. And then Live Oak Bank, 1.35%. $0 minimum balance, not sure how that works, also gets an A. And then CIT Bank uh, at 1.3 gets a B, a little complex with their fine print, $100 minimum balance. And uh, down from there, 1.25 for a few of them. See how easy that was? So if you're not getting 1.4, why not? StackyBenjamins.com forward slash magnify money gets you there. Hey, so this game that we're playing on Fridays is because OG's not here and I'm entertaining myself and bringing you along for the ride. And this week's game, this game that is encompassing this eight weeks is a really simple one. And it's this, you know, how I like movies. What's a movie title of a real movie that describes Doug's life, mom's neighbor, Doug's life. Uh, give me that, and we're going to have some of those. In fact, I've gotten a few uh, because of the fact that I'm not in the basement. I don't have those in front of me, so we'll start talking about those next week. But send those to me, joe at stackingbenjamins.com, or just hit up stackingbenjamins.com, uh, and you'll see uh, questions for the show right at the top. And if you write it in the question form, I'll know that you sent it to me. All right. We've got a fantastic week next week. You know what? I'm just going to make next week a surprise. We had a phenomenal week this week with Dr. Josh Lauer. How fun was that? Finding out about the credit agencies and the history. I, I just, I love the history of money and the history of credit. It was phenomenal. And of course, Scott Trench from Bigger Pockets about saving your first 25000 on Monday. Scott was great radio, wasn't he? We got more of that next week. So can't wait to show you. All right. 
I'm going to go hang out more up here. It's, it's like 95 degrees back in Texarkana, and it was 72 degrees here yesterday. How tough is that? All right, everybody, go stack some Benjamins. Bye-bye. Special thanks to David Stein. You can find his podcast and more at Money for the Rest of Us or in our show notes at stackingbenjamins.com. Paula Pant appears courtesy of affordanything.com. And special thanks to Len Penzo from lenpenzo.com. This show was created by Joe Saul Cihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Kathleen Selmans handles design, newsletter, and classroom opportunities. If you'd like to learn more, head to stackingbenjamins.com forward slash classes. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I'm pretty much the guy in charge of everything around here. Trust me, this well-oiled machine didn't get like this all by itself. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. going to make espresso. Well, stackers, the show is over, but the party is just beginning here. You know why? Because it's military appreciation month and we are giving out shout outs to all of our friends who have served in the military. And let's point uh, the finger right here at our good friend, OG, who spent time in the military. And of course, we know what a giver he is, even when he pretends like he's being uh, Mr. Surly. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members to help them reach their goals. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate, and you'll see all their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. They've got all kinds of resources on their site, like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. So much going on. Just head over to NavyFederal.org slash celebrate. Take a look at all the Military Appreciation Month offers and their usual offers. Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.